I'm Stephanie, and I'm reading from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's word. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Cindy, and the music team this morning. That line in there, my one defense, he is my one defense. I find that that's probably some of the times, one of my greater struggles, to be reminded that God is my defense. And I don't have to worry about defending myself. got your Bibles with you, would love for you to open those up to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, there's lots of great apps out there. Um, we use the ESV version, but please feel free if you enjoy reading the NLT, read the NLT. If you enjoy reading the King James Version, read the King James Version, but doggone it, get your Bibles open, okay? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3. This is the fourth week of our study in Hebrews, and we're going to be taking our time as we travel through this just wonderful, wonderful book. The reason I had Stephanie read out of Psalm 95 this morning, because Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 13, is basically an exegetical sermon on Psalm 95. So I figured we might want to read the primary text from which the author of Hebrews is going to expound upon, right? So we're going to look at, so Psalm 95, and I wanted to have you read the, have Stephanie read the whole Psalm, All the author of Hebrews is only going to focus on the last portion of that Psalm. Who is Psalm 95 about specifically what person of the Godhead? Jesus, Right? It was talking about that the creation of the world. He holds the mountains. He holds the seas of which he created. And of the, the creation of the world, the second person of the Trinity is created, Jesus Christ, with creation. And we see that found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So now Psalm 95 is literally setting the stage for talking about Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised that the author is going to dive into this text immediately following when the author has just said that there's Moses and then there's Jesus. And which one's greater? Jesus. That's right. Jesus is, thank you. Jesus is greater. You can say that with a little excitement, like Jesus is greater. Absolutely. Moses worked in the house. Jesus is over the house. And who is the house? We are. And so Jesus is over us. And so we've got this beautiful start last week to what's going to flow into this week. And he's going to run two parallel images for us. You've got the story of Moses leading out the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, okay? And Moses was a good leader, but Jesus is a better leader. 
Well, since Jesus is a better leader than Moses was, then the expectation is that the church, the house that Jesus is over, is going to respond better to Jesus' leading than those who were underneath the leadership of Moses. Okay? And so that's kind of the, the stage that we're setting for as we dive into this text. This first section, and I believe all of this text, is going to speak to an issue of accountability. How many of us love accountability? Come on, be honest. Like, not many, right? Accountability became a great buzzword during the Promise Keeper era, especially for men, okay? The Promise Keepers was a, a, a movement amongst men that started back in the 80s with Bill McCartney, the head coach of the Colorado Buffalo Bills. We don't, we don't talk about those, not Buffalo, but the Colorado Bills, Buffaloes, whatever they are, because I'm from Nebraska. We have a lot, a lot of not love towards the Buffaloes. But anyways, he was a devout Christian man who was part of this movement, and they started calling men into accountable relationships with each other. The problem was with the accountability movement, it really focused more on the negative than it did on the holistic aspect of a Christian man being in Jesus Christ. Don't do this sin. Don't do that sin. And when you get together for accountability, you're basically asking each other, did you sin this week and what sins did you participate in? Rather than asking the question, how did you live for Jesus? And I think that's one of the reasons that we saw it kind of die off. It had this huge, I went to an, a Promise Keepers thing in San Diego Padres Stadium with my dad and my brother. And it was like 30,000 men came. And this huge movement. And all of a sudden it was like there one day and gone the next. And I think one of the reasons was that it, it focused a lot on the negative versus like how do we build up men who are on fire for Jesus Christ. And want to live for Jesus. And we recognize that a person who's living for Jesus desires to sin less. But the sin isn't the focus. The life in Jesus Christ is the focus. So we here we, we dive into this text. It was interesting this week. I, last week I played an excerpt from S.M. Lockridge. I heard a lot of people like that. Um, Kathy Furman emailed me and says, like, I really loved that. Um, so I emailed her the link to the full, full sermon. Um, it was, I listened to the full sermon this week. It was amazing. It was powerful. And it just, it, it got a hold of me. And he said in this, in that message, that a sermon should do at least three, four things. He said a sermon, a sermon should stretch your mind. That it should inform and instruct, and you should learn something from it. The second thing that he said a sermon should do is tan your hide. It should correct you. Right. And the third thing he said is it should warm your heart. It should inspire you. The fourth thing it should do is provoke the will. Challenge you to do what the Lord wills you to do. I'm going to guarantee you that the sermon that is being preached here in the word this morning and that we're going to talk about does exactly that. It's going to stretch us this morning. We're going to talk about Moses and the Old Testament and what they did in the wilderness. We're going to learn some things. It's going to be good that way. It's also going to convict us. Very convicting. It's going to warm our hearts as we think about what God has done for us and the life that we get to have in him. And it's going to challenge us to our faith to increase, our wills to be aligned with his. Lockridge also stated this, and I appreciated that public worship is a privilege and a duty of the redeemed united in faith and fellowship and the furtherance of the gospel. It is a privilege we get to do this together this morning. So look with me here at the text. The author of Hebrews dives into this and he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and I want you to know this, notice who the author gives credit for Psalms 95 for. The Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is at work in the Psalms, through the psalmist, through David, and all those that wrote the psalmist in writing the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is at work. Today, if you hear my voice and do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of resting, on the te- day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with the gener- that generation and said, they, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care. Brothers, lest there be any of you of an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed We hold our original confidence firm until the end. He says here that we're to see to it that none of us fall away. Think about the generation. And I often think about the people in Israel and what it would have been like. How many of you like hiked for a long distance before? How far? Throw out some numbers. Ten? Come on, y'all, y'all raise your hands. How many far? How far have you hiked? Eighteen. That's a long way. Some more numbers. Everyone's like, okay, I can't tell. I, I did a 29-mile road march in Korea. We call it the Manchu Mile. And it was supposed to have been a 21-mile road march, but since we were with 2-9 Manchu Infantry Regiment, they're going to go 29. All right, 2-9, right? And it's over 12 hours, and you left out at night, and you, you marched all night long. And I'm telling you what, it was hysterical, because we come back into this, this parade field, and we get all done doing the road march, and those of us who made it, there was a deuce and a half, which is a, is a military truck. And if the deuce and a half caught up to you, your more road march was over. You got into the back of the truck and you're, you were done. But those of us who finished the march, we got to march out onto the field, which is hysterical because they're all like left, 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 right, left. You know, and they're marching us onto the field. Nobody's in time. We're like, we're exhausted. We're tired. And we get on there and we get our belt buckle. It's really cool. But during that march and, and, and since then, I've had time to contemplate what it had been like to travel, to get up and day in and day out, make road march after road march after road march after road march after road march, traveling in the wilderness. And if you follow the maps that they have come up with about what the wilderness did, it was making this large circle, this large, like, big arc in the wilderness. And the purpose, and you're like, man, why didn't God just do a direct line, like, flight straight to the promised land? Because God desired... That in that time in the wilderness, the people would gain a new identity, no longer slaves to the Egyptians, but free, identified in God as his children, and they will worship him as God. The wilderness period, this time of traveling, was for the purpose of people to understand you're no longer slaves, you're now free. You're no longer worshiping pagan gods and under the influence of their authority. You're now worshiping the one true God, praising his name, and you're no longer identified as slaves, but you're now identified as the people of God the people of Yahweh. That was the time and the purpose for them. But for 20 years, these knuckleheads wouldn't get it. Like, you're God's people. We want food. We want water. Like, we want, we want, we want. And before we get on their case about, like, they're really blockheads, like, what, what in the world? Like, they're traveling in the wilderness day in and day out. How many of us 
when we're doing that long road march, we're like, are we going to make it to the end? When I was doing that, I was like in tears almost by the end of my road march. Am I going to make it? They're going to let me die out here. Like, where's my sergeant? He's responsible for this. Like, you know, I'm like, what? Man up, Scott. Finish this sucker. Let's go. You know? But that's, it was hard day in and day out. They got their kids complaining. They got their wives complaining. They themselves are complaining. But the problem was, is when the complaints started to rise, no one said, stop the complaining. They listened to one another and the complaints, one individual's complaints became 10 individual's complaints, became 100 people's individual's complaints. And now there's 1,000, 2,000 people complaining and groaning against God. The author of Hebrews says, guess what? Just like the Israelites traveled in the wilderness, you are on a wilderness journey. And it begins the day you trust in Jesus Christ. And you're on it for the rest of your life until we enter the final rest with God. We are on a wilderness journey. And the reason, and the, the reason for this journey, surprise, surprise, is that so our identity will be God's people. Well, that sounds familiar. Right? It's a similar story going on. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is, but unlike the people in the wilderness, I don't want you to be a rebellious, hard-necked people that instead of following God and pursuing God and, and, and identifying as, as God's people, like these people struggle with that. We want you to have this identity. So you and I are on a journey for the glory of God to be identified wholly and completely in him. This is, this, is, this is the journey that we're on. But we can have problems. I can have a hard day and say, this journey isn't worth it. And I can start to groan and I can start to grumble and I can start to complain. God gave me a really working illustration of this just yesterday. God's great about that. My wife and I decided to walk down to Cave to have some coffee and walk back together. And we got to Cave and I ran into some people and the conversations didn't go the way I thought they were supposed to go. And I'm walking out of Cave and I'm angry. And I'm turning to Christy and I was like, I just can't talk right now. I'm so angry. And I start finally being able to talk and now all I'm doing is just spewing my anger. And my wife began to live this passage out in front of me. Let no one have a wicked and unbelieving heart. As she began to counteract my anger and my frustration and my negative thoughts and my lack of love and my idolatry of myself. As she began to tell me, like, Scott... That's, I don't think that that's what went down there. I think you're seeing things from pretty much your perspective and you're trying to defend yourself right now and you're upset. And thank goodness it was a good mile and a half back home because we needed that mile and a half to get my heart right so I'd come preach today. <laughs> you see, my wife understood that it was her role as a Christian sister in Christ to hold me accountable for my heart lest my heart begin to influence her heart and lest our hearts begin to influence our children's hearts and lest our family's hearts begin to influence our neighbors and those in our life group. And then our life group begins to affect the church body. And all of a sudden the church body starts to begin to grumble and complain again. You see how this takes effect? God calls us into accountability to each other's hearts to counteract Wicked, unbelieving hearts. And I don't like the fact that he marries those two things together. I wish he would have just said wicked. Like, wicked heart. Oh, we can call out a wicked heart easily. Like, but he's saying, no, unbelief and wickedness are married together. Then when we struggle to believe in who God is and what he has done, we enter into wickedness, sin, and rebellion. It goes back to the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? They didn't believe 
that God was who he said he was. And that failure to believe has continued to perpetuate and grow since then in the history of the world. And we struggle with pockets of unbelief in our heart as exemplified by the anxiety that so riddles today's people. Throughout the world, and Christians, unfortunately, are no different. We are so anxious and we're so fearful. But God is saying, I am the God. I am great, glorious, great, and gracious. And we fail to believe that in our hearts. And so we become anxious and we take control and we fear others. We do all of these things because we're afraid that God really isn't who he said he is. And guess what? That just isn't unbelief. It's wickedness and sin. And it can grow and fester if not counteracted. I need you. You need each other. We all need each other to do what? Counteract unbelief in our hearts so it doesn't turn into sin and wickedness and perpetuate itself in this body. What does it say about a little yeast in the scriptures? It impacts the whole dough. That's exactly what sin does. When we allow unbelief in our heart to take root. And no one counteracts it. We don't allow anyone to speak into it. It grows and it festers. And it becomes something that destroys whole church families. It destroyed a whole generation of people. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who is speaking into your unbelief? Because we all have pockets of unbelief. I promise you, we all do. Who's speaking into it? Who has authority? Who do you allow to talk to you about these things? It's vital that we have people that are able to, that we regularly meet with, that can talk to our lives. And, 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 and some of you may be saying, and I don't mean to pick on people this morning, but some of you may be saying, my spouse is that person. You know, I love my wife and she loves me. But there are times when I fear speaking into my wife's life like that. And I, I chicken out. I, 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 I'll be honest. I chicken out. Because like, I'm like, I'd rather not have conflict today. She's down in Kidville today, right? So you guys go, go tell her that, you know, you can say that, right? Like, like I chicken out because I'm like, so if I'm not that... We need more than just one person is what I'm saying. We, we need more than just one person speaking into each other's lives and counteract those areas of unbelief. Because guess what? I may not be that right person at that moment. That if I do speak into it, and I'm just trying to justify my cowardice, but if I do speak into it, it's going to blow up. But versus if somebody else, like if Jen, you know, Christy's dear friend comes over and Jen sees Christy like saying something and Jen can speak into it. And, and, and Christy allows it at that moment. But if I speak into it, it's going to be met with, right, right? So it's beautiful to be part of a family of God. It's beautiful. Who is speaking into your heart and life? Accountability is not something bad. It's not something ugly. It's not something to be feared. But rather, it's to be loved and cherished and excited about because Christ died upon the cross to form us into his family, the church. He goes on to say here in verse 15, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he provoked for 40 years was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to you just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. 
they were united by faith with those who listened. What what message? The message that they were God's people delivered from slavery by the blood of the Lamb brought through the Red Sea into the wilderness for the purpose of being identified in God to be his people, redeemed by God for his purposes. Man, this story is sounding really familiar. But you see, that message did not benefit them. They, 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 they thought about that message. They retold their stories. That You understand, this was a generation of people that would sit around fires at night and continue to tell the story of God and what God has done for his people over and over and over and over again to ingrain it because they didn't have scrolls and Bibles to write all this down on that everybody just kind of carried around with them. They told these stories over and over to ingrain them in the hearts and lives of the children, in the hearts and lives of the adults. But guess what? That story, as they told it over and over again, did not what? Benefit them. That's terrifying. What would that us like to say today? That'd be like us saying today, the gospel does not benefit us right that the story that Jesus Christ fully God fully man came down from heaven to rescue a people from their sin and their rebellion he went to the cross died upon the cross for their sins rose from the grave ascended into heaven seats at the right hand of God and heaven interceding on their behalf and guess that that story isn't any good you're like that's blasphemy Exactly. You see, we have to be accountable to each other for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God himself came to renew all of creation through himself, for himself. Brothers and sisters, do we talk about this message Do we share this message amongst ourselves? Do we remind each other of this message? Do we gospel each other's hearts? And what do I mean is like when sin starts to percolate, do we say, yes, what? Jesus came to redeem you so that that won't rule in your life. He came to take that idol away from you so he can be on the throne of your heart. Do we remind each other of what Jesus Christ did? How often this last week did you talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ? That he came to renew your life. Renew the life of those that are around you. How many times did you talk about the gospel of Jesus? Is the gospel of Jesus boring to you? And I'm serious. There is times in our Christian lives where you're like, I don't know if I get really pumped up about that. And our spiritual pulse starts to die off a little bit. And that's a dangerous time for us, isn't it? Because that's when unbelief is starting to creep in and wickedness of our heart starts to take over. So who, who's speaking into your unbelief and how often are you referencing the gospel of Jesus Christ in your personal walk and the lives of others that are around you? Is the message of Jesus Christ still of benefit? Why is this so important? Brothers and sisters, because without the gospel, we're nothing. We're a rebellious generation that needs to die off. Brothers and sisters, we need to be proclaiming this message to one another, encouraging each mother with this message as long as it's called today. He goes on to say here, as he continues this beautiful sermon within a sermon, verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. And I want to talk just a moment about rest. I believe when the author is speaking of rest here, he is speaking of rest in, in, in two different ways. He's speaking of rest that we can have now. There is life to have now in Jesus Christ. The scriptures paint this beautiful picture of a life surrendered in Jesus Christ is a life of rest. 
Rest is to be had now. And if you find yourself this morning, I'm like, I am not at rest. I am in turmoil. I want you to take a few steps backward and go, where's your unbelief about who God is? Because what what the author of Hebrews seems to be arguing here is that if we believe in the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has come to renew and redeem all things through himself, for himself, that if we believe that message and we let that message permeate our hearts and continue to impact us, then we should have rest in him now. But when we experience unrest is when we're experiencing times of unbelief. And then there's the rest to come. There's the rest that when we're with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity, we'll know rest like we've never known rest before. And we'll know the peace of God like we've never known the peace of God before. But the author of Hebrews seems to be arguing here that a picture of that rest can be had now in Jesus Christ. Notice I'm saying rest, not prosperity. Those are different things. Rest can be had in the midst of poverty, brokenness. Rest can be found. Rest isn't more possessions. Rest isn't more wealth. Rest isn't the the, uh, retirement fund that will never end. That's not rest. Rest is found only in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're like, what is this rest you're talking about? What, you know, Jesus Christ giving us rest. I don't know what that means or even have an, an idea about that. I want to talk to you after the service. And I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ can bring you to a place of rest and peace. Because Christ lived this perfect life And he died upon the cross for our sins. And when we are forgiven of our sins and Christ comes to reign and rule in our life as Lord and King, guess what? We can let go. We can let go of striving for our own eternity. We can let go of striving for our own good. We can let go of striving for our own benefit and rest in God and let him rule over us and know what peace is in Jesus Christ. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news, fa- good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest also has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And so no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now some of you may, may have caught this as we were going through this, that he says, strive to enter that rest. What? That, how do you like strive, work hard to enter rest? Has God just kind of lost his mind at this moment and he's creating two different things that can't be resolved? No. What he's saying here is he's urging them, exhorting them, and strongly desiring them to pursue rest. Scriptures tell us to take every 
saw it captive. I don't know if you've ever done that for like a full day or even like for a full hour. Like as every thought comes to your mind, every unbelieving thought, every thought of, uh, of sin, every thought of like wickedness that's going on in your mind. And you just, Lord, I, I need your help with that. I need your help with that. I need your help with that. It's exhausting. It is exhausting to live in which way you're holding every thought captive. It is hard work. But you know, the more you do that, the more rest you have in the Lord. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get after. You got to fight so that unbelief will have no place in your life. You're going to hold fast to, you're going to have to work at holding fast to the gospel message and believing that in your life wholly, completely to having the Lord reign completely over life. It's going to take work. It's going to take serious effort. But in that effort is rest and peace. You see, the Bible's filled with these kind of things. These kind of tensions that we're called to live in. But the beauty of this striving is at the very beginning, Whose message is this? This is written by whom? It said, Holy Spirit. Oh man, that's encouraging. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the same third person of the Trinity that indwells every single believer. And that we, by the power of God, not our power, but by his power, get to fight this fight, get to strive, get to pursue being in rest with God. It's not our own strength here. It's God's strength. He gives it to us. He commands and he gives us the ability to do it. You see, this is why Jesus is the greater leader in all this. This is why this passage is a greater accountability for us than even for the Israelite people. Because Jesus Christ is coming. We're underneath his authority. We're underneath his house. We're his people. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to do all of this. So who's going to walk alongside you in this journey? Because not only did God give us the Holy Spirit, he gave us the church family. And one of these days, you guys are going to stand up here and say, I've had enough of your community stuff. Like, I've had enough of you talking about family. But I'm telling you, I'm going to say something that maybe some may not like, but I believe it's, it's in the core of Scripture. You can't live the abundant Christian life in isolation from the family of God. And this is good, but this isn't family time. This is like we get together, sing songs, but you can mask up here. Some of you masked up. Some of you are driving in your car this morning. You told your wife off. Maybe you told your husband he's a jerk. Maybe you did all, but you walked in the door. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How's things going? We're so happy you're all here. And you're in a sin right now. But nobody's going to know it until you get back in that car and you turn back on each other. God knows it. Because the word of God splits things wide open and all is exposed before him. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. If I turn on my wife, I need my brothers and sisters to know what's going on in my heart to help me not do that anymore. I'm part of a family. We cannot live this out if you are not involved in the family of God. And I know we got jobs. We got jobs that keep us busy. If your job is keeping you from living as part of the family of God... Well, Scripture's not going to change. Something else has to change. If your lifestyle, well, I enjoy traveling all the time, and I enjoy going to do this. Retirement is for me. I've worked hard for a long time. I put in my dues, and now I get to live the way I want to live. And no one knows you from Adam. You bounce around from place to place, but no one is speaking into your life because no one knows you. I don't understand how that's in line with Scripture. You see, retirement is this beautiful thing of where we get to stop doing, working for a job, and we get to start working for God full time. 
I know I'm preaching is tough, and some of you are like, yeah, I'm done with this. <laughs> but you show me where I'm wrong from the word of God, and I'll stop saying it. You see, the Israelite people journeyed in the wilderness with each other day in and day out. There was no other thing going on. That was the journey. I talk about getting on each other's nerves. That bratty kid over there, somebody really needs to shit on him. You know, oh man, he is he's beating his wife. You could hear it in the tent. We got to address that. The church, we go to our separate homes. We hide behind our big fences. And no one knows. And I know there's, there's some serious stuff going on in a room like this size. There's some serious brokenness that needs to get brought to the surface. And it needs to. Because according to this warning, the individual that has unbelieving heart and has entered into wickedness can devastate us all. And we need to help each other work through that. But the beautiful, the beauty, I want to close with this. The beauty of this message, it's not a message of kicking people out. It's not a message of accusing people to the point where they're no longer part of it. Rather, it is a restoration message. If you're in struggling with sin this morning, we want to walk alongside you to restore you, to see God's redemptive work in your life, to remain part of this family and redeemed by God. When we, when we talk about living this abundant life in God, we understand that sin issues are going to pop up and we understand that God's grace is more. We sang about it this morning. His grace is more than enough. It's more than sufficient. And to walk alongside of one another and help each other overcome sin in our lives. We're not looking to kick people out. We're looking to walk alongside people through the mess and the brokenness of it. I want to be like the Israelite generation like that. That I don't want to be able to say, oh, gee, uh, mm, that's too much for me. They, there was no such thing. You're journeying together in the wilderness. We either address it or we fall into it. And the same thing is for us today, brothers and sisters. We just, we just believe it's not. We've either got to address stuff with each other or we're going to fall away. And I'm tired about you guys, but I'm tired of watching people fall away. Let's commit to one another. Like the author of Hebrews is saying, let you exhort, encourage each other to belief in God wholehearted belief in God to treasure the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and apply it to each one's heart to bring the word of God to bear in each other one's lives so that we may strive together for rest and then when we see a brother or sister not in God's rest that we lovingly come around them we place ourselves in positions with each other that we may be able to encourage each other to rest in him. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful, beautiful passage of scripture. You call us into an, an accountable community of believers where we don't let unbelief go unchecked and we don't let the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ become plain, become powerless. And where we don't strive for ourselves, but rather we enter into the rest of God. Please, Father God, build us up to be your people, to be your community of believers. I thank you, Lord God, so much for the many communities that are taking place outside of Sunday, that the folks that are getting together to study the word, the folks that are getting together just to share each other's weeks and bear each other's burdens and pray for one another, to lift each other up, to encourage each other. 
Lord God, thank you for the disciple making that it is taking place as we point each other to Jesus Christ and the gospel message. And Lord God, I pray it would continue and permeate this community of believers. That we would be identified as a people to love the power of the gospel. And we can't shut up about it. And we can't stop believing in it. And that we understand that God's rest is something that is not based upon a moment, a status, a place, an occupation. But rather it's to be had through the kingship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, we love you. And today we want to surrender our lives more to you. In Jesus' name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the book of Revelation, it says at the, at the last day, the books will be opened. And everything that we have done will be revealed. And the book of life will be opened. And if our name is found in the book of life, we have redemption. We have eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that and thinking about God's stories, when we were, each of us were conceived, it's as though God said to a heavenly scribe, okay, get that book out, write chapter one. And this is the beginning of the story of each one of us individually. Our life story is being written in the heavenly realms. And as God starts it, he already knows the end of it, doesn't he? He knows the end from the beginning. Each one of us, he's writing our story. Today's uh, scripture started with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Holy Spirit speaks. And if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Last week, this is part of my God story. Last week, as I was walking out of here, there was a gentleman standing in the back. Never seen him before. Greeted him, asked him his name, asked him where he was from. And as I continued to ask and probe, there were two things going on in my heart and my mind. First one was, don't take a risk. You don't know this man. Don't risk anything with him. And the other thing that was going on in my heart and my mind was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Risk. Ask him. Keep asking him questions. He was not volunteering information. But as I probed, he continued to reveal more about his circumstance and his situation. I ended up doing something that I have never done before as a result. And it was because the Holy Spirit was louder, speaking louder to me than what was going on in my own heart and mind, which was saying, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't press in. Don't ask him another question. Because I could see where it was going. He was without a place to stay. He was stuck here. He had no money. That hearing God's voice and hardening, I had to make a choice. If I was going to listen to myself and my own voice, I wasn't going to do anything for that man because I didn't want to risk And yet, if I had done that, wasn't I actually hardening my heart towards God? How can I expect to grow in my relationship with the Lord if I'm not going to be willing to risk myself for his glory? So that's my God story and all that I have to say on the subject. Um, And I just, it's... Open it up. Who else has a God story? Who else is being touched by the message, what the Holy Spirit is speaking into us every week here and has been for a long time? Think about it. The book of Acts. Hosea. Now Hebrews. And prior to that, the other books that we've been studying together. Is God affecting your heart? Is he changing you? 
Is, he, is his voice speaking into you, getting, asking you to do things that you don't want to do on your own, but you know, you know that you're hearing God's voice speaking to you? What's he saying? How is it changing you? What part of your story that is being written do you want to share with us today? I just want to say that we weren't here last week because we had 50 kids. Um, and we started when our kids were in junior high school, I think, having a retreat here at Lake Chelan. And we have kept doing it every year. And this year, as you know, last week, the kids sleep out in sleeping bags on the grass. It rained three nights. <laughs> anyway, not one kid complained. And they swim in the lake, and they go in boats, and they get pulled. And um, Anyway, I'm just, what I want to say is, we have realized that because we have done this for a whole generation, now our grandkids are the age that our kids were, that we've had over a thousand kids come and stay and been able to speak Christ into their life. So, so if you do something, keep doing it over the years and it adds up. Morning, everyone. My name is Terry White. Um, on oh, get through this. August 9th, 1987, my 22-year-old brother and his friend were murdered. We just had his 32nd anniversary since it happened, and the man was tried and convicted and given life with parole. And every few years, he comes up for parole. And praise the Lord, he came up for parole last week, and it was denied again. And my sister and I just want to thank the Lord and just hope that man will spend the rest of his life in prison where he needs to be. But thank you, God. 